This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer Worldwide. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby Zneimer. Ontario's opposition leader is calling on the Ford government to immediately improve conditions in long-term care homes, which have been hit hard by COVID-19. And a U of T psychology professor has come up with a free online course to help us manage our COVID-19 related anxieties. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The world's oldest man is being forced to celebrate his birthday alone in self-isolation because of the pandemic. Sun's shining, but the world is in a bit of a mess, isn't it? Bob Waiten, who recently turned 112, said the planned birthday festivities were a dead loss after everything had to be cancelled. Bob lived through the Spanish flu pandemic back in 1918 when he was just 10 years old. He took the title of oldest man in the world last month after the death of the previous holder from Japan. A New York-based organization that handles claims on behalf of Holocaust survivors says millions of dollars will be available to elderly survivors, particularly vulnerable to the new coronavirus. The Conference on Jewish Material Claims Against Germany says... The money will be sent to agencies around the world, which provide services for about 120,000 victims of the Nazis. Many survivors suffered from illness and other ailments that affect their health. Calgary Fire Chief Steve Dongworth says his department's hoping to brighten the birthdays of seniors and kids whose celebrations have been scrapped because of the pandemic. Fire trucks can be booked online and they'll show up outside your home with sirens and lights. Drive-by birthdays are for those over 75 and kids. We got an I-24, I-24. Oh! Richard Blutch is waving a hammer up high! That's Matthew McConaughey hosting a virtual bingo for seniors at a Texas senior living facility. The 50-year-old actor and his family could not leave their home during quarantine to visit a local senior living facility, but they did the next best thing, hosting bingo for shut-in residents. With movie theaters closed and everyone staying at home, virtual viewing parties are surging in popularity. They simulate the experience of going out to the movies. You don't even have to pass the popcorn. The so-called watch parties are being streamed for free on Facebook. A Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter has written an unauthorized biography of First Lady Melania Trump. The Art of Her Deal by Washington Post reporter Mary Jordan reveals the picture of a woman who's steely, ambitious, and who plays the game. It also describes her life as an immigrant before she met Donald Trump. The author says Melania is far more interesting than the image many have of her. The book comes out in June. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby's Niner, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
While the Ford government has been working with public health experts in order to protect seniors during the pandemic, Ontario's opposition leader wants the province to do more for residents of long-term care homes and those working in the facilities. Andrea Horvath is glad to hear the Premier's calling for more testing. I'm hopeful that the um, the testing increase uh, is something that is um, uh, continuing to to raise. I mean, I, I, I'm glad that that's something that uh, the government has uh, committed to undertaking. I guess we'll wait and see how consistent that is. But uh, we need to see more, much, much more testing uh, for those uh, frontline workers uh, in long-term care, for people in long-term care. Uh, but we also need to see a, an overhaul of, of what's happening in long-term care. I mean, there there's no doubt that that system was, you know, hanging by a thread. It was actually in chaos. Uh, before COVID-19 has, uh, you know, ripped through those homes and, and continues to do that. Uh, but we knew those places were vulnerable. Uh, and uh, what we're saying is we, we can talk in the future about what, what should have probably been done uh, to get ready for COVID-19. But in the meantime, today, uh, and I don't mean today literally as in this day, but I mean right now, we need to make changes that will save lives immediately and not you know, not wait uh, any longer. So we want to see aggressive recruiting of staff to long-term care. We want to see increased wages there to $22 an hour. So that will uh, help with the recruiting. Uh, We want to maintain the situation. We want to ensure that there's a situation where where workers are only working at one facility and not being uh, asked to go to multiple different uh, long-term care homes to stop the spread. Uh, You know, there are Different homes are dealing with visitors in different ways. We need a real consistent, strong, uh, and a clear message about how visitors should be dealt with in every every home and not just uh, being uh, kind of um, arranged on the fly, depending on uh, on what the uh, individual homes decide. So yeah, there's a lot of pieces that we need to fix right now uh, to save lives and to uh, stop the spread. The head of the Ontario's Registered Nurses Association is basically echoing uh, your call to have the province restrict the number of long-term care homes that health care staff can work in. She says she's raised this with the government for some time now, but so far hasn't been acted upon. Have you heard anything that might suggest this could be happening, or are you just hoping this is going to happen and just intend on keeping on the government until it does happen? Yeah, I think it's actually the the latter. Uh, we we are um, we're just going to keep the pressure on, and and again, I don't see this as a partisan thing. I see this as a um, you know as a requirement to, in the here and now to uh, to get the government to move on this. You know, uh, I'm I'm not uh, at all uh, critical of their um, you know their desire to bring more people into the healthcare system. Uh, I, I laud that as a, as a strategy, but let's pay those people decent wages and let's make sure uh, that the job that we're giving them is one uh, that will keep them safe and keep the people that they're dealing with safe. And that means uh, not only uh, the restriction on locations that people can work, but it means appropriate PPE, pr- uh, personal protective equipment uh, for everyone. Uh, it means proper testing and, uh, uh, and robust testing, not just in, um, you know once in a blue moon, but uh, regular testing for those folks. Um, and these are the things I think that will help us to uh, to save lives. And so we're going to keep that pressure on. Absolutely, we're going to keep that pressure on. Any other changes you would like to see pertaining to long-term care homes or home care to stop the spread? Well, I mean, as I mentioned, uh, 
the PPE is a, is a very uh, big issue and one that uh, we need to make sure uh, we have personal protective equipment for the uh, folks that are working in, in long-term care. Um, we've also asked the government to consider um, some support for family members who decide to bring their loved ones out of long-term care. So we would like to see a fund uh, that people can access uh, families can access to help them uh, when they are bringing their their loved ones out of long term care. We want to we want to make sure that folks that bring their loved ones out of long term care are guaranteed a bed will still be there for them once all of this is over. Uh, so the government needs to figure out how to make that happen, and I think that means uh, really significant investments in in uh, in long term care, uh, you know, in terms of construction and and development. But I also think that uh, we need to make sure we're looking at the home care sector as well. Uh, and ensuring that the home care uh, workers are given uh, all of the support and the PPE that they require uh, because they are required to go in and out of people's homes uh, constantly uh, and they need to uh, they need to be protected for their own sake and for the sake of the people that they're working with um, so there there's there are lots of pieces there that we think the government can uh, um, you know can engage with to try to uh, really show the people of Ontario that they uh, are on this on this issue, uh, that they are recognizing uh, the vulnerability of our, our loved ones, of our seniors, of the people that built our province, uh, you know, in, in long-term care, their family members and loved ones, uh, understanding the anxiety and worry that uh, that people have, uh, and the acknowledging how important uh, those uh, folks are that work on the front lines uh, with our loved ones and with our seniors, uh, um, you know, to make sure that they're protected throughout the situation. And I think that uh, that if the government keeps that at the forefront, uh, uh, that they will come around to some of these uh, uh, ideas and recommendations. What do you make of Doug Ford saying the province is extending construction hours for essential projects, uh, like critical projects in healthcare sector, to 24 hours a, a day? Well, I mean, I think that uh, it makes uh, sense that uh, critical healthcare projects are prioritized, and um, you know, if we if we need the extra uh, beds, uh, we need the extra beds, uh, and that's just a reality. I, I think that folks who might be near those construction sites and um, and you know, uh, disrupted by some of the noise. Uh, it'll be a short-term disruption for for the long-term benefit of of helping our uh, you know our fellow um, Ontarians in in a time of distress. And so I'm I'm certain that uh, that people uh, as they have been thus far will be very uh, cooperative and understanding in that regard. I, I still have concerns about uh, some of the construction that continues to uh, be undertaken in our province. I have asked the premier uh, to review that. Uh, he did. He did do a review and uh, winnowed down that list of essential uh, work uh, a little bit, but I, I still think that there's a, a real hard look that needs to be uh, maintained on that list because, um, as you know, construction sites are not places that it is easy to uh, to distance by two meters, uh, and that's something that we're hearing from workers on construction. We're hearing from family members of workers. We're hearing from the public uh, still uh, about the uh, the need to um, to really think about uh, whether we need to further winnow down that uh, that construction uh, um, industry. Opposition leader Andrea Horvath, thank you for your time and stay safe. My pleasure. And you do the very same, you and all your loved ones and everybody who's uh, tuning into Zoom. That was Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. The pandemic has forced many in the world to stop. 
which has given us more time to think and worry, even feel frightened. To help keep our feelings in check during the pandemic, you may want to check out Mind Control, Managing Your Mental Health During COVID-19. U of T psychology professor Dr. Steve Jordans spoke with Libby Snymer about the free online course. There's three parts of the course. That's the first part. And and really that machinery, I just like people to understand that this is a, a system we have in place that has evolved to help us deal with threat and anxiety. But usually the threat is um, immediate and it's something we can deal with immediately. So a predator jumped out and the system wakes up and gives us the strength and energy to either fight or flee. Um, and it's supposed to accomplish one or the other and then disappear. Uh, what we have is a chronic threat. And, and what we're feeling is our body trying to rise to that threat. Anxiety is just the body saying, do something. And, and what it wants to do is fight the, the issue or get away from it. And the problem we have in this context is it's not clear how to do either. And the threat remains and the threat's very ambiguous. So that's, that's the source of the anxiety. It's, it's literally one part of our um, nervous system that is there to deal with threat. Is this similar to, say, a, a person facing a chronic, very serious disease like cancer? And is the response the same? The worry is when the threat is chronic, it, it actually um, makes the immune system weaker over time. Uh, this is a work from Hans Selye long ago in Montreal. Um, so it literally shows how a mental thing like stress can have physical effects on the body. Um, and yeah, that's one of the worries and one of the reasons I, I created the course is that uh, there are ways to manage the stress response. And I feel it's really important people learn how to do that now because if they allow it to go unchecked, their immune systems could be compromised. And this is the last thing uh, we want with a virus floating around. Uh, I also created the course, by the way, because anxiety can kind of turn into depression. And anxiety isn't bad compared to depression. <laughs> and it's, it's, it doesn't feel comfortable, but it's a mobilizing force. Depression is much more scary. Uh, and so I wanted people to kind of understand the link between those and, and to kind of feel sort of okay that they're in an anxiety situation, especially if they know how to manage it. You say that you can manage anxiety by managing your environment. Does, yeah. What does that mean exactly? So that's the second part. So at the end of the first part, I describe a sort of direct way that you can intervene and make your body relaxed and kind of banish anxiety. And it's kind of counterintuitive. But in the second part of the course, I just discuss how things in our environment um, affect us for good or for ill. Uh, so as an example of ill, uh, news would be the example. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Steve. <laughs> yeah, uh. Sorry, but it is. But not so much. So what I tell people is there's, there's an... There's a horrible tendency, given the way things are, for us to become addicted to the news. Um, when, when something is rewarding to us, and information is rewarding, and, and when that reward comes in sort of random times, we never really know when it's coming. There could be another bit of information right after the one we got, or it might be two days later. Then we become very addicted to that source uh, of that reward. Uh, and that's a problem in this case, because every moment people are watching TV, what's going to their brain is you are under threat. You are under threat. So every moment they're looking for information, they're actually keying up that fight or flight system. Uh, so what I just recommend is, is people want that information, but they should budget, you know, when they consume it. And if possible, they should follow it with something that will bring their mind somewhere else, um, a, a sort of mental palate cleanser, as it were. Uh, and, and I describe that as, 
the way you can use the environment in your favor. You can learn that certain things pull your mind away. Like from, music. From like music. Music is fantastic. Singing, laughing, aerobic exercise. Aerobic exercise doesn't really immediately help your mind. It doesn't pull your mind away the same way, but we know that it, it ends up producing positive mood states. So that's another good thing to kind of to work into the the routine, which, which, by the way, the third part is all about dealing with isolation and how to combine all these elements to kind of, you know, maybe find a silver lining in isolation and, and do well in that context. And how? So I suggest things like the, the, the first transition isolation is strange, especially if, if you're one of these people who can't work as well at home because you really lose part of your identity. The, a big part of us is our professional self. Uh, and and we, that part keeps getting strengthened when we interact with our professional colleagues and we keep thinking of ourselves a certain way. So in my case, as a professor, for example. Um, and then if I come home and those interactions stop, um, I, I've, I've kind of lost part of myself and I've also lost the usual structure of my day. And that can leave us feeling kind of adrift. So one of the things I recommend is get a new structure. You know, come come up with a new way of being, but apply some structure to it that starts right with going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time, having your meals at the same time. Getting dressed? Sure. <laughs> yeah, getting dressed, having a shower now and then, shaving now and then. Yeah, um, ex- exactly. Kind of going through these rituals because these rituals do kind of make our body feel like everything is normal. And, and if we're getting away from them, um, our body will feel like things are, are odd. But also, one of the things I suggest is if you can find a way to accomplish something. Um, and, and just as a, an example of this, there's a lot of online, there's things like edX and Coursera, where my course is, that offer courses on everything. Um, if you wanted to learn how to produce music, if you wanted to upgrade some qualifications you have, if you want to learn about astronomy, there are these great courses where you could go and learn in a structured way uh, and actually accomplish something, end up feeling like, oh, and not only accomplish something, but wake up in the morning saying, oh, I know what I'm going to do today. I can have a purpose. I have some goals. Those things become really important for kind of pulling us through the day. And if we allow ourselves to drift and, and couch potato on Netflix too long, it, it does not uh, feel good to us mentally. Dr. Steve Jordans, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Libby. I appreciate it. Okay, bye-bye. All the best. Bye-bye. That was U of T professor Dr. Stephen Jordans. You can find his free online course to manage COVID-19 stress on Coursera.org. That brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me and be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.